So this is 2 Samuel 15, and it's uh, page 306 in the Church Bible. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. Also, Whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way towards all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Love it. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you. And it gets a bit of the drama uh, in it. Uh, we're going to talk today about the idea of traitors, uh, two-faced. Uh, we're going to talk about relationships uh, in church uh, and some other bits and pieces too. Just before I start, and, and for a little bit of background, last week we talked about um, a bit where David messed up massively. He uh, took someone else's wife, uh, he got her pregnant, uh, he then arranged the death of her husband, uh, tried to cover it up, it was awful. And, and um, as part of that, the really sad, especially sad part of the story, as well as all of that, was that they, uh, the child from that affair uh, died, and it was awful. And um, uh, a number of you, and I, I tried to make sure I finished last week, saying, look, because God has provided the son to die for us, no longer does that sort of act of God happen to us. But a couple of you I know in the week have been either worried or have asked, look, Paddy, I did this in my life, and this bad thing happened. Is that God cursing me? Is that God doing something bad to me because of what I did? And it's quite a common human feeling, we feel. The, the bit I want to say as clearly as I can, my belief is... Because Jesus' death on the cross is his taking our place. Because he takes all the punishment that the world deserves, God no longer will directly punish you for things that you do. Because otherwise it means that Jesus' death was not enough. Does that make sense? It's a bit like God going, well, I know Jesus died for the whole world, but actually you're super bad. Uh, and also the minute God's death on the cross is not enough, it casts into doubt the whole thing. Does that make sense? And so I want to encourage you about that. Now, there are sometimes, for example, if I'm being angry to my wife daily, constantly, there might be some natural effects of me living in that way. 
you know, I can't go, God, you've made my wife really upset and crabby the whole time. And he's like, you're being a muppet. Like, uh, like it doesn't work. So, so, so sometimes in life, there might be some natural consequences to, to things, or sometimes the things we do might have an effect. But, but my big thing I want to try and encourage you guys to know is that, that the cross is so big and wide. And like God's love and grace is so massive that I think it's, it's, it's different now. And the, the story of David is on where we can look back and go, my goodness, imagine if it fell on us. How relieved are we that God has taken our place? Does that make sense? Um, uh, come and talk more if that helps. The, the sad bit as well, as we talk about curse, Daniel, if we can have the next slide, um, is that part of that, though, for David was that God said, David, you've done this awful thing. You've broken up a family. And because of that, your own family are always going to be trying to kill you. It's, it's brutal. It's, it's part of, of this story. David tried to mess up other families. And God at that time said, David, this is going to happen, which is what we get. We get Absalom doing this. So anyway, let's do some uh, bit of fun just before we start. This is a question, David. Uh, there we go. Uh, this is our last, uh, uh, this one first. Two-faced we're going to talk about today. Two-faced. Right, two-faced. Uh, turn to your neighbour to say two-faced. Two-faced. Um, maybe you could turn both sides and be two-faced as you, you do that. Some of you are going, no, that's too much effort already. Uh, it's fine. Happy Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk about ideal relationships in church. We're going to talk about how they should be different. We're going to talk about how we might have better relationships in church, even though we are people who are just people. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about the idea of treachery, which you've just heard in the story as well. But here's a question for you. What are the biggest betrayals in history. I'm going to knock one right out of the park straight away and say, I don't want you to do it. Judas and Jesus, yes it is. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about historical kind of political kind of betrayals. Okay? Have a quick chat. Do you know any? The biggest betrayals in history, what do you know? Uh, don't worry, don't worry. Feel free to make some up. You know, Tom and Jerry. Okay, biggest betrayal in history. And uh, I'll talk to you then. Any thoughts? Biggest betrayals in history. Nicholas. Brutus and Caesar, at two Brutus, at two, at, uh, yeah, yeah, but you're going to see in a minute they did it wrong, so, um, but at two Bruti, um, uh, thank you. Right, uh, John? Yeah, 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 yeah. I promise I'm not going to evade, there will be peace in our time, uh, no there won't, um, good one, good one, yeah Tim? Phil and Grant Mitchell <laughs> cheating on Sharon in EastEnders. Yeah, deep, man. We've <laughs> it's good. Uh, Andy? Robin Van Persie leaving Arsenal. <laughs> I can tell. Helen, just pray for him. Just get yeah, uh, Sam. Oh, oh, we've gone there. Yeah, that's the sort of church we are. We talk about this stuff. Well, yeah, OTG7 country, not quite back to where we were before COVID. Just saying, but no, it's fine. No, it's fine. Uh, so I'm not going there. Some of you, please ignore that. That's a joke. I'm sorry. Uh, all, 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 our, all our welcome, all our welcome uh, Labour governments as well in the past have been awful. So um, there you go. Done my bit. Other governments are available. Um, shall, I, shall I stop digging? <laughs> okay. Uh, biggest betrayal in history. You haven't got the correct answer. It's one of those annoying questions. There is a correct answer. Here we go. Uh, Alfred Reddell. Anyone? Alfred Reddell. I think I'm saying his right. Reddell. Okay. Uh, Austrian man. Spied for Russia. This is during World War I. Okay. Uh, leaked the Austrian plans for the invasion of Serbia to the Russians who sold it 
back to Serbia, allowing Serbia to be prepared for the Austrian invasion, he directly caused half a million deaths of his countrymen by his own treachery. Uh, it's pretty bad, uh, pretty bad. Um, he was uh, then arrested and bad things happened to him. Uh, next one, Harold Cohen. So you come to church, you're learning so many things. Like, yeah. Harold Cole was uh, an English double agent. He was a petty criminal who grew up in, in London. Um, he then went to France during the Second World War, where he helped to establish escape lines for British flyers and airmen who had crashed down. Uh, he helped them to escape to southern France and then to Spain. Uh, but what he also did was sold the names of the people that he'd got to help with the escape to the Gestapo. So he got the French guys to help him get rid of the airmen, and he got money for every airman that got out through his lines, but he also sold the names of the French people that he'd recruited to help him do the escape to the Gestapo, directly causing 150 deaths of brave agents. Uh, he then tried to run away, uh, was cornered by the French police in 1946, uh, and then, um, yeah, did something bad to himself. Uh, next one. <laughs> Uh, Marcus Brutus, Caesar's nephew. You might not have known that. Uh, Caesar's nephew uh, uh, killed him. Uh, two Brutus is, is wrong. It should be Brutai. Brute. Brute. A-E at the end for your Latin, I think. Or E-I. I don't know. But I'm not very good at that one. But yeah, uh, biggest betrayals. Uh, so big, Shakespeare wrote a story about it. Um, thank you. Uh, here we go. Two-faced. Okay. So in your little passage we looked at, Absalom was betraying David. Okay. Absalom was betraying David. There's a king, and Absalom is betraying his king. The king in those days was a bit like a judge as well. He'd hear the problems that people had. People would come and say, I'm struggling for my crops, and the, the king might give them something. I want you to work as a team just a very little bit for five minutes. Two-faced, how does Absalom undermine his relationship with David? David's his father, okay? Uh, David's his father, his king. Um, Absalom is an heir, but how does he undermine relationships? There's a number of different ways he does it. Try and, and, and don't worry if you haven't done sort of God stuff very much. Uh, you should be able to sort of look at the passage today and sort of try and sort of figure out some of the ways. And it'd be great if you do have a Bible. If you haven't got one, we've got loads of spares. Or you can go BibleGateway.com. Do do this, please. Do this. How does Absalom undermine the king? How many different ways can you see? Have a little chat together. Um, don't just sort of pick the things that are in the text. Try and help me to understand what do they mean. What do they mean? Have a little chat together just for a few minutes. Uh, we do this so we get comfortable looking at God's word together. Able to talk about it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, here we go. Uh, we're doing this, and you might wonder why are we doing this. Well, some of the ways that he undermines relationships we might see in church. Um, I think the really hard bit about doing church, especially with a group this size now, is we have high hopes for it, don't we? We have high hopes that the relationships here will somehow feel different, be different. Uh, and yet we are also just normal people. Uh, and so sometimes that can clash. Um, relationships that are difficult at any time. Um, and this is going to help us to sort of think about some of the ways maybe that relationships can be damaged. He's going all out, so I'm not saying these things are definitely here, but, but let's hear some. Let's hear some. How does Absalom undermine his relationship with David? Nicholas at the back. 
He cast doubt on David's goodness and justice as a king. Yeah? Just that little sneaky kind of, what, what bit have you got it from? Or can you give me a, sort of a shout, the sort of main bit? You've got the Russian version. Maybe in Russian. So playing himself off against someone else, um, sort of just undermining, just and it's it's that kind of. Have you ever met someone like that? It's just kind of two-faced, a little bit sneaky. You know, you sort of hear, yeah. Say that again. Smarmy. It's a great word. That kind of, you know, when they're with you, they seem fine, but you start to you, some of those. Yeah, yeah, good. Anyone else? Yeah, John. <laughs> We're all about today, love it. He's, yeah, he's just saying whatever they want to hear. Just, just blurn up, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Stoking any other kind of sort of problems or, or challenges. Just sort of stoking it up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely got a case. Love that. Yeah, any more? Any more? Yeah, yeah, B. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, he's got chariots, he's got men, he's got the outfit, he's at the gate, which is this position of authority, yeah, not been given it, but he's like, here I am, and, and in, in relationships in churches, sometimes we do that, don't we? we, in some relationships I've seen, it's like someone takes the mother role, like with, with Zach and my boys, it's always difficult, like we each telling them always, don't do the parenting for us, we can do the parenting, they want to adopt these kind of roles, um, you shouldn't do that. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, for those of you listening at home later, that was me pointing at my son and telling him to not parent his brother. Um, so, uh, it's fine. But I do as well with my brothers, with others. Uh, Steve's in shock. You've got a lot of support behind you. If anything, I've lost the room. So, just, just know. Um, but but you, you've seen people that do that. They sort of just take on a role in a relationship that's just, you know, not equal, uh, sort of dominant or dependent type relationships. It's really good. Any more? Keep going. Yeah, Helen? He is, absolutely, deliberately as well. I mean, this is, this is not just, I don't like my dad anymore. He is trying to assert power. This whole series is about how every single king that the people had fell short of who God was meant to be. That's, that's the big story of Samuel, um, and this is his part in it. Um, yeah, anything else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And, and at the end, goes up to David and goes, David, David, I need to go and worship David. David, I'm such an honourable, godly guy. I need to go and fulfil my vows, David. And David's like, go in peace. Like, it's harsh, isn't it? You can imagine this. Is it that David doesn't know? There's a sense that David has retreated slightly. I think he was damaged by the stuff that happened with, with Bathsheba. Um, he certainly runs away very quickly when Absalom does end up succeeding in a bit of a coup. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, strategic. Yeah, yeah, really strategic and sort of seeing where he could go and, and gauging where power is from, gauging his good name. Uh, the, the really sneaky one that you might not get um, is when people approach him, they know that he's part of the royal family. And, and what does it say they, they do? bow to kiss him and then what does he do what's he doing there doesn't so he's like no 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 you're my equal no 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 don't 
Like, but it's this kind of falseness to it. It's, it's, it's rubbish, isn't it? Uh, quick question, ready? Quick question. What do you think of Absalom? Have a little chat, just literally 30 seconds. What do you think of Absalom? Have a little chat. Is he a traitor? Is he a traitor? <laughs> Uh, traitor, traitor, anyone else? Oh! Give me a little sneaky high five. Okay, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. No, we'll get there in a minute. Two faced, okay, thank you. High five for just mentioning the word. Okay, anyone else? What do we think of Absalom? Okay, interesting. So David's, in a, uh, yeah, okay, interesting. He's a fox! You, I, just quickly, as a bloke, the word fox might mean something different <laughs> to what you've said there. Okay. Oh, interesting. So it's like they're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, interesting. Good, good bloke. Okay, uh, just really quickly. I'm not going to look at it in, in mass detail. And, and it's interesting what you say. Um, the problem with us is we might say he's two-faced, right? Uh, Daniel, next slide. Um, Absalom had been through something devastating. He had a loved sister in 2 Samuel 13, who another son of David, Amnon, uh, tricked his way into sleeping with. It, I mean, it was a messed up family. And, and it utterly devastates her. And, and we talked last week about how in those days, this is not some kind of you know, romantic thing. It was power, it was abuse. We did like the sort of Me Too thing last week. And Absalom went to David and asked for justice. And David gave him none. And Absalom's sister comes and lives with him. And the, it literally says this. Um, uh, uh, this is uh, 2 Samuel 13. Uh, verse 20, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister, he is your brother. Don't take these things to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. A desolate woman. Now, it doesn't excuse, in one sense, what he does, but a man denied of justice, using justice to try and get power, suddenly the story is not as simple, is it? And I guess my challenge to you and I is, we're as two-faced, because we're quick to judge, aren't we? We're quick to think we know the people. We're quick to think we know why they're doing what they're doing, or thinking what they're thinking, or acting like they're acting. And the challenge in this story is that there's more going on. And I love that you're there going, I sense he might be a bit broken. And maybe it's because I think you've worked in education, and you know, you've, you've seen... Yeah. There's usually something else. And it doesn't excuse it. But my challenge is, the relationships in church should be better because they should be deeper. And because we know we have a bigger story that tells us why we're broken. We have a bigger father who tells us why we should be family. We have a bigger grace 
that says we don't judge the outside, which is what man often does, because God looks at the heart, which is how the David story began. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. If you want relationships to be deeper and different in church, we have to somehow recognize that it begins with us being different, loving different. How many times do we expect the other person to be different so we can love them? That is a transactional love. In church, it should be different. There should be something that says, our big story helps me to show you the grace that I've been shown. The, the, the patience that I've been shown. Does that make sense? Like, like I want to challenge us about how quickly we become two-faced. I'm not saying Absalom was justified in what he did. But there's a bigger story. Does that make sense? Just really quickly then, uh, Daniel, Daniel, thank you. Jesus gives us a great picture. We're coming up towards Easter. I know some of you might be thinking, are we ever going to talk about Easter? It's only like three weeks away. Yes, we are. <laughs> In the Last Supper, Jesus is loving the two-faced. Okay? He's loving the two-faced. Judas betrays him. The disciples run from him. Peter denies him. Jesus is loving the two-faced. How does he do it? Okay, just really quickly. Okay, John 13, just really quickly. Let's get there before we come uh, around the table uh, together. John 13 says this. John 13, verse 1. It was just before Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to be with the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. His love begins with knowing who his father is and knowing the love of God. That's where his relationships begin. He knows who his father is. He could have gone, Judas, I know you're about to betray me because he does. He could have gone, Peter, you're going to deny me because he does. He could have said, boys and women around, you're going to run. Although the women didn't, they stayed close to the cross. Um, you're going to run. But instead he knows who his father is. And he trusts that his father will be bringing about this plan for the salvation of the whole of the world, that, that his father has a plan for the church, that his, his father has a plan for his people. That's where it begins. Does that make sense? He, he, he turns his face to who God is. Later on in chapter 13, it says this. Um, uh, here we go. Um, Verse 2, the evening was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then this bit, Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I love that Jesus looked at his father, knew the love that his father had. He knew who he was because he listened to what God said about him. And from that place of security, he then went and loved. And how does he love? He washes their feet. Part of me wonders today, the minute I told you a little bit about Absalom's journey, your view of him might have shifted a little bit. And Jesus loves his disciples' feet, a side of their journey. Does that make sense? This is not easy to do. As I come to a finish, how are relationships different in church? We need to take seriously looking and gazing at who God is. A God who loves us before we take a breath. A God who says that you're enough before you start. It becomes our secure place. Because when then people say stuff that shakes our foundation, we can stand secure. Does that make sense? It's only him who will give you security. Like we need to have in our church a security, a trust that this is 
something bigger. We need to then apply that to ourselves. If I'm an object of love, loved to love others, this is what I'm for. If I'm shown grace, I can show grace to others. It's knowing self and, and knowing God. And I guess I want to encourage us, you know, to, to not say things like, I've always been like this. Oh, yeah, this is part of my character. This is just who I am. To con- constantly say, God, God, draw out in me the things that are not of you. Grow love in me. Grow, grow patience in me. Grow, grow, grow peace and kindness and goodness. In Psalm 27, he says, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. I want to come into your temple and I want to gaze at your face, God. I want to look at you. I want to look at you and from there love the people. And so my cheesy little pun today is we don't want to be two-faced, but we want to be true-faced. Yeah? And I know that some of you think I do the puns for a joke. I I don't. I want us to, to look at what is true about who God is. Look at what is true about who we are. Look at what is true about what God says about the church, about forgiveness and grace and the cross. And from that place, do relationships different. Does that make sense? It's hard. It's really hard. Um, But we're going to be able to do it in God's strength. We're going to come and remember this meal, knowing that we might sit here going, actually, I'm a bit two-faced. But here's God. And if I look again at what's true and and right and noble and and trustworthy, he loves me, forgives me, restores me, sends his spirit that I might be transformed.